0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
1: Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, you're playing with power!
0: Don't kill me! Don't kill
1: me, man! Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me.
0: What are you? I'm Batman. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions, but what we found out is that each one of us is a brain, and an athlete,
1: and a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question?
0: Welcome to the Back in Time podcast. I'm your host, Curtis, and joining me this week is Ryan from the Freed podcast, and we're going to discuss 1981. But before we get to 1981 and all that was awesome, not so awesome, kind of odd with the year, Ryan, what's Freed all about? Give us the elevator sales pitch for your podcast. <laughs>
1: uh, well, Freed is an audio drama. It takes place after uh, a pandemic which just kind of decimates the world. And um, a woman travels across America searching for some kind of civilization to help rebuild. And she comes across an abandoned town in the mountains called Freed. And she just starts working on it. And the episodes of Freed are uh, her biweekly broadcasts, giving updates on what she's done and the people she's met and things like that, you know, in in her other travels. And uh, Hmm. it picks up really quickly so i mean you can't just jump in right at the end you have to start from the beginning but uh it's ongoing and yeah that's it that's my elevator pitch i guess
0: well that's awesome because it's a really short elevator ride huh (laughs) not as bad as mass effect uh, elevator rides um (laughs) no it's interesting you say that though because our listeners they obviously listen to us talk about pop culture and news and all that but there's this whole other side to podcasting, which is the whole, like, adaption of that radio drama that, you know, people were doing for so many years that podcasts have allowed us to bring back. So, it sounds like your podcast definitely is sort of in the, in the vein of that. And I think, you know, for people who are maybe not too familiar with podcasts or only really listen to it for the, uh, you know, news portion and pop culture discussion, I mean, again, this whole, like, more fictional side of the podcast is actually – I mean, it's for me. It's interesting. Like, I love that stuff. But I know for some people, they they don't they don't even know it exists. Like in their minds, it's yeah. It's, it's like they
1: they they don't think of. They, I mean, podcasts have just kind of become synonymous with, uh, you know, talking heads. You know, yeah. here's uh, here's economics. Here's pop culture. Here's the Nerdist. You know, and this is and it's not bad. No, but yeah, it it um people think of it as being kind of delegated to explicitly radio, like a Prairie Home Companion. You know, yeah. but, but recently, especially with uh, Night Vale and Thrilling Adventure Hour, it's yeah. getting a lot bigger. You know, stuff like Serial, black tapes, um, stuff like that. It's all just, it's really exploding.
0: Yeah. So go check out Freed, uh, you know, if you guys want to see that other side of podcast, which I know, I know for a fact, most of our listeners probably are listening to this and they're like, wait, people do that? That's awesome. So <laughs> definitely go check it out. Um but this is not a radio drama. Sometimes I wish it were just to, like, mix things up and just throw people off their uh, their game there. But, no, it's not. Uh, this is a pop culture so- show, and uh, we're basically going to go through the year 1981. Uh, now, probably the biggest thing that came out in 1981 in terms of movies is Indiana Jones and uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Probably, I don't know, I mean, I think when a lot of people think of Indiana Jones, they think of this movie... Uh, in terms of like the iconography, you know, the whip and the, you know, when the yeah. guy whips out the uh, sword and he just shoots the
1: guy. He's just like, oh, I don't have that, to do it. That's a you. great scene. You know, I, I don't know if this is true or not. This is one of those, you know, internet rumors. But uh, Harrison Ford, the the rumor is that Harrison Ford stapled his hat to his head during that scene because oh. like the wind kept like kicking it off and he didn't want to deal with it. So he stapled it to his head. They did the shot. And then as soon as he, like, is walking off at the end of that scene, he goes to, like, the EMT or whatever, and they have to take the staples out of his head.
0: Honestly, if it was the 80s, I could probably see that happening. This was back before people would have been like, hey, stapling hat or, uh, yeah, hats to your head is probably a bad idea. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, the Indiana Jones franchise, it's kind of an odd franchise in that, you know, the first one, it's pretty much, you know, gets synonymous with the franchise. The second one got really dark. The third one, one I thought is pretty good for what's worth, and the fourth one, the Crystal Skull is just terrible in almost every regard. But yeah,
1: you know, I I watched I um I'm a, I'm a young person, so mm-hmm. I watched the three Indiana Jones movies like the day that I saw Crystal Skull. I, I watched them in order basically. Yeah. And like I I don't know when did Crystal Skull come out like 2010.
0: Uh, I think like 2008 or so, something like that. I, oh, that's really? what I want to say,
1: but I could be wrong. Yeah. So I was like pretty young when I watched it and I was like, okay, uh, this is okay. And this is kind of Indiana Jonesy. And then like when they got aliens, I didn't care so much because I love aliens. But like <laughs> yeah. thinking back, it's a real, it was really strange to add that in. I mean, yeah. even though like, so the end of uh, Raiders, you know, they open up this, a holy relic and all the spirits come out and melt everyone's faces and then you know temple of doom is Kali Ma, you know that's the the one thing and yeah. then uh, uh last crusade is you know another holy relic and like an ageless night so it's not so weird to have like that weird extreme kind of side to it but yeah. like alien spaceships ancient aliens you know like that was it was really it didn't quite fit into the kind of normal extremes that they have. And I think that's really kind of what the its fault was, you know? It, it was a little yeah. too extreme with its craziness, I guess.
0: No, totally, yeah. And I think what makes Indiana Jones so great for me, at least personally, is that there is that sort of out-of-world sort of sense to it. Like, it is something that's a little bit, you know, it's not too Fantastic. grounded reality. Yeah. yeah, but it's not so much so that it's the entire movie. And what's great is that, you know, Indiana or Indy, he basically, he acts as the sort of audience analog in these movies for seeing this insane shit. He's just like, what the fuck is going on? And like, that's what's so great about it is that yeah, for for you, the audience, you're you're, you can sympathize with him because here he's just this archaeologist who's now, you know, seeing people's faces get melted off and, you know, he can only really deal with the situation at hand. It's not like he really has any time to stop and you know smell the roses or anything he's sort of very quick-witted and i think that that's what's made the character so endearing for so many years is that yeah Yeah. he just you know he's someone that you can sympathize with but he's also someone that you can kind of be like well if i was a little bit better at this kind of shit i would be
1: (laughs) (laughs) i really i don't know if it was in if this scene was in raiders or a later one but when he's in class and he's actually teaching yeah and then there's that that girl in the front who has like something written on her eyes i don't i know it's not what i'm thinking it is but something like like you're hot or something like that oh i think and it's he's yeah like, and yeah she just like blinks really slowly and he's like um oh, oh okay <laughs> like, <laughs> i mean it's, it's a little it's a little kind of creepy now like in a modern setting because yeah that's uh, but um just watching yeah watching him get flustered is the Kind of the point of his yeah. character, you know, is because, yeah, like you said, he's supposed to be the analog, but he's also supposed to be, uh, what is it like, kind of an uh, a step up from us. He's the he yeah. we can put ourselves in his shoes, but he's also the kind of person that we would want to be if we were in that situation. When normally it'd be like, oh shit, this guy's swinging a sword at me. I'm gonna go run away. Yeah. I'm not just gonna stand there and shoot him. You know? Yeah.
0: Oh, totally. And, like, I, I remember when I was a kid, I had this, like, really just, like, hilarious moment where, like, you know, I lived in the boonies growing up, so, like, it was very common for us to see all sorts of animals. And I saw this, like, bear cub outside my, my bedroom door, and I'm thinking, like, oh, I'm going to totally just be Indiana Jones and just fight off this bear. And my parents were just like, <laughs> you're not going outside. No. But that's no. the thing, right? Like, you know, we should be like, no, don't go do something stupid like that. But, you know, you have this idea of, Well, if I was Indiana Jones, I would totally go out there right now and fight that bear cub, but I'm not because it's probably not smart.
1: Yeah, you do no. I mean, you could probably take a bear cub, but you couldn't take what comes after that. No. You'd you'd definitely be dead.
0: (laughs) The round two would probably be where you lose. Um, Yeah, Raiders, awesome movie. Um, It's one I I like to watch every every couple of years. I'll bring it back on and just watch it. Um, Moving on, though. An American Werewolf in London. Uh, This is a movie I haven't seen in a few years, but I do have some pretty fond memories of. How about you? Have you seen the movie lately?
1: Uh, No, I have, in fact, never seen it. But I have heard that. No, I haven't. I have heard the song Werewolves of London. So I'm just going to pretend that they're the same thing, like exactly the same. (laughs) It's probably not that far off.
0: Uh, How many uh... werewolves
1: in London could there be? Like, There probably has to be some parallels there.
0: Well, it's kind of funny because uh, obviously Max Landis is such a big deal in Hollywood these days, but his dad, uh, you know, John Landis, he was, you know, his whole claim to fame long time before, you know, 1981 to be exact, was uh, an American werewolf in London. And it's kind of funny because it's, it's in many ways, so many different genres and it manages to pull them all off pretty well. I mean, maybe not perfectly, but pretty well like it's a horror movie but it's also a comedy movie and it's also a bit of a fantasy movie like very rarely do we get movies nowadays that can kind of encompass all of those kind of genres and, or so many different genres so i think in terms of like my you know for what i think it contributed to the pop culture landscape as a whole is it sort of gave people this idea of hey you don't have to make just a straight up horror movie or a straight up comedy movie you can blend these elements and sort of make sort of like a combination of the two and i think for me at least like seeing those kind of movies where you see like a combo of genres is actually when i get most excited for a movie like instead of seeing a straight-up horror movie i want to see one with a bit of comedy elements in it as well i don't know if you're kind of yeah like that no as
1: well. no definitely um i i'm trying like when you describe the different genres and encompasses i was trying to think of like the movie like a more recent movie that blends those kinds of things together and i can't think of many. I would I would say Final Destination is a mix of comedy and horror, but I mean it's not supposed to be. Um I feel, I feel like maybe Shawn of the Dead. Yeah, Probably. actually yeah, Shawn of the Dead uh would be a pretty good uh thing to, to uh compare it to because I mean it's not yeah. straight up horror. It's more comedy than horror. Yeah. But um it does it's not necessarily like not scary. I mean there there's a couple kind of creepy parts. I was thinking mm. Cabin in the Woods. Have you seen that? Yes.
0: That's uh Yeah,
1: I I I think that's yeah. the closest thing we could compare something like this to because it's um I mean it's more of like a a satire of yeah. horror movies, but I mean it, they they keep it scary while uh like having those those cutaway shots to their, you know, control room and they're like, "Oh, this one's dead. That's good." You know? Like it's it's um Sorry, I'm a little sick. Uh, I th- yeah, I think Cabin in the Woods is kind of the only more recent one that has blended uh, horror and comedy. Uh, yeah. I guess Zombieland. maybe, yeah, Zombieland, um, Pri- Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, did you see that? No, I did not. That I heard, though. is, I, I heard it's, like it's better than you things. think it's going to be. Okay, it's it's you you go in thinking this is going to be really bad. And then the first, like the scene right before it cuts to like the title is yeah. very like B movie. Like it's, it's uh, the last shot you see before the title is these hand, Like it's a first person view of the zombie. And it's these yeah. hands stretching out, like running right at this girl. And she's like, ah! and then it cuts right to pride and prejudice and zombies. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh, okay. It's going to be like, it's going to be self-aware. And it was kind of self-aware, but yeah. Uh, I mean, there were like really kind of scary parts, especially just because the zombies were like kind of human, you know? Yeah. So uh, when when they're like talking to people, you don't know if they're gonna turn, or you know, when there's the just the hordes running at the Victorians, I guess. is that what you would call the people of Victorian England, Victorians? The Victorians, uh, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. When they're running <laughs> at them. And then you got these five, like, jujitsu ninja women uh, fighting them off. I think that's that's kind of a, a blend, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I know,
0: uh, in terms of Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, I know my co-host on the main show we do, uh, his name's Carlos, he was really, like, excited for that movie, and then came out and, I, I don't know why, but, like, I think he just was like, oh, I don't want to see this. So... Um, <laughs> I, when he said he wasn't excited, I think that's when my excitement died because I'm like, well, if Carlos isn't into it, I don't know. Um, Moving on to Evil Dead, uh, Sam Raimi's... I don't think... This might be Sam Raimi's first film. I feel like it is. Or at least... I,
1: I think so too, yeah. I, I could
0: be wrong and probably I'm going to get emails from somebody being like, how dare you be so wrong? He directed this you know, small little indie flick that nobody watched or something, but... R- Yeah, I mean, Sam Raimi, he uh, has definitely made a a name for himself. Okay, so I did did look it up, and yes, he did direct a few short films well before. So, I was a little wrong. Um, But Evil Dead, I mean, I think it's a good movie. but I don't know if it really holds up as well nowadays. Yeah, I I,
1: I watch it now. I haven't seen
0: it in in quite a while, so. Okay, because the last couple times I've seen it, like, I can tell that like all the blood and all that stuff is all just obvious, like like really bad effects. And you know, mm-hmm. obviously, it was like the limitations of the time or whatever. But unlike a lot of other films, like The Thing, for instance, which comes out next year in nineteen eighty two, uh, but I'm like, uh, I just can't really buy into this. Like, I I feel like there was a discrepancy there. Uh,
1: but still a fun movie. Yeah, I think that's kind of why it's it's fun now is because like. It's, it's, it's a, uh, I mean, you could describe it as like campy, I guess, you know, because it's, it's so kind of like blood, ah, you know, like it's yeah. not. Um, I think what's, what's really interesting is I was reading up on like how they were shooting it mm-hmm. and everything. And it, this was stuff I'd already kind of known, but it's, it's, it's stranger to, to read now. But like a lot of it was done on the fly, like, uh, the shaky cam he yeah. like glued down a camera onto a piece of like plywood and was just running around with it. Yeah, and that's just that's just it's it's crazy to think of that because shaky cam is now such like you can immediately I well, I mean you could already I immediately identify it cuz it's a shaky camera, but like yeah. it's it's in so many movies today for all the action sequences and like you don't think too critically about it, but I mean, I, I no. kind of like enjoy it as long as it's not, uh, you know, crazy, but yeah, to think that it started out with him going, uh, how do we do this? Um, glue down the camera on this wood and run around with it. Okay. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. People I, I, like it's, it's, it's yeah. pretty inventive, you know, to, to, to come up with that on the fly and make it g- and like, know it's going to be good. Yeah. Or it's going to be effective at the very least.
0: And that's the thing is like there's a lot of sort of like on the fly things that they did with this movie because I think Sam Raimi I mean he's kind of that director where he he'll sort of just do whatever he needs to do to get what he wants and not too many directors will do that like like a lot of them will be like eh, I don't know that doesn't seem really realistic to do but like you know for instance like there was um you know the story coming out of the movie behind the scenes that uh, the uh, Bruce Campbell, I think his name is. Oh, my gosh. I know people Mm -hmm. are going to hate me so much for goofing on his name, but I think it's Bruce Campbell, right? I'm not crazy. Uh, He had uh, had twisted his ankle, I guess, uh, on one of the days of the shoots. And, you know, obviously they should have let his, you know, ankle heal, but instead Sam kept poking at it with a stick before they would start shooting so that he would keep provoking the ankle. So when you see Ash have this sort of like perpetual limp all throughout the film – that's not mm. fake. Like that's actual like Bruce Campbell yeah. with his ankle just keep getting mucked with by Sam. And I, I find that just so like endearing about Sam Raimi is that like he's willing to do stuff like keep, that, you know, poking that, that's his main a word. stars. In,
1: endearing is definitely a word to call that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh,
0: I'm sure Bruce I, Campbell's I, just like, Hey, thanks, my ankle's been fucked up for life. Thanks so much, Sam. Yeah, you I know, don't like, think
1: Bruce Campbell would call it endearing. <laughs>
0: We should get him on the show and ask him, Bruce, what yeah. do you think about this? Um, I
1: it, it, it that kind of um filming style though, that that kind of uh, because yeah, he a lot of times what they were filming was not quite acting, and yeah, it's like that happened again in the Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. you know, like more kind of uh on purpose and more kind of mean spirited, I guess, yeah, but like oh, yeah, it's. Uh, he, from what I can tell, just from like reading how he made this film, it's that kind of um, I, I don't know how to say it like that that earnesty that that honesty in what he's actually trying to make yeah. and what like the emotion he actually feels behind these projects. I think that is what makes them uh, enjoyable in the long run, even though they're like if you were to look at it critically, it might not necessarily stand up the the fun part is, knowing how much passion like kind of you know mean-spirited or not went behind it mm-hmm. and that's what makes it enjoyable it's, it's why the room for as terrible as it is is enjoyable because you know it's an earnest attempt at a movie yeah and it just kind of fails i don't think evil dead fails but like it definitely doesn't stand up but it's the it's the underlying passion that makes it enjoyable as opposed to what the actual content necessarily yeah actually funny that you mentioned the room because
0: I went to a viewing of that film like a year or two ago and Tommy Wiseau was there and he was like taking questions from people and like here's the thing that movie's not a great movie as you say but like it's amazing that he goes town to town now and he'll just be like sure ask me what you want about that movie and like you know there's not too many people out there nowadays I mean obviously Tommy Wiseau I mean his quality isn't quite on par with Sam Raimi's but yeah, this idea that he, he does have a passion for his work at the very least. Um, the room just, oh my gosh, that would yeah. be so terrible. But My,
1: my friend movie. got to meet him too and uh, he said hey, can you um, I, I'm going to record you. Uh, can you say like, can you talk to my friend saying like, why didn't you come see this with me or something? And he's like, yeah, sure okay, I will do this. <laughs> and so he starts saying it, but then he like pulls my friend in and is like holding him like around the shoulder. So like, my, like he he was just like holding him like patting his back and everything and my friend said he was really gross. Yeah really greasy and oh, yes. I didn't like him touching me.
0: Yeah. I, I'm gonna back that up as well. Like when I was chatting with him I was like, Okay, I'm gonna keep like a good foot or two away from you at all times just so I feel like I might get some infection or something, but nice guy. Don't wanna Yeah, you
1: don't you don't really trust that he's like fully human. You feel like kind of under like underneath his glasses he's got like reptile eyes or something. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I felt like I was joking too, but like, you know, just how he was, it was like in his mind he had a a higher vision of himself than he actually is. Like, in his mind, he's like, this is how I come across. But in reality, it was just like, no, not at all.
1: Um, Did you hear, did you read any part of uh, the disaster artist or like any of the interviews that he's done? I've read some of it,
0: yeah. And He,
1: he ordered, um, hot water with lemon and they're like or this was like during like some interview that he double booked and then the waitress is like oh you mean tea and he's like no hot water with lemon she's like okay (laughs) and then apparently like he didn't drink it at all he like took one sip and then he just continued on with the interview and then like left it when he was done i might be Mm. making that part up i don't know but it sounds like something he would do honestly i wouldn't be surprised um
0: let's move on to Mad Max Two. Um for a while there it was everyone's favorite Mad Max movie up until last year with Fury
1: Road, but Oh my god, Fury Road. Oh Fury my gosh I,
0: I I don't know many people who aside from like a few baby boomers, you know, in my family who didn't like that movie. Uh everyone seems to have yeah. really enjoyed this movie, but yeah, I mean, for so many years, uh, Mad Max Two was the right answer as to which is the best Mad Max movie.
1: Now, is, what's the the subtitle to this one? Is it Road Warrior? Yeah, Road Warrior. Yeah. Okay, because I know that they got really weird with the naming of it across the different regions.
0: Yeah, I and I, I,
1: I don't know why.
0: Because like it was, it was just Mad Max Two, and then I think in different regions they started to just call it the Road Warrior. Like I think, even in yeah. some markets, they didn't even market it as a Mad Max sequel. It's just the Road Warrior. Like there's probably somebody yeah. who we just said Mad Max Two, and they're like, "Wait, what? What movie is that?" <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, again at the time, uh, the idea was is that Mad Max, uh, you know, the first one was okay, but they didn't really expand on the idea enough to really make it something worthwhile. But then in this one, they ended up. You know, kind of expanding on the idea, and then by the third one, they just went so crazy with it that it was just like, okay, you guys need to t- take a step back. This is a bit <laughs> too much. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you've undoubtedly seen the film, I imagine, unless
1: I'm terribly wrong. Mad Max. Mad oh, Max you're 2? you're very wrong. I've only seen Fury Road. I I started oh. I started to watch all three of them one day. Yeah. Uh, but you know, stuff ended up happening, and I didn't get to watch it. All I've heard from. My uh there there's this uh festival that goes out there that goes on in the desert around here called Wasteland. Okay. Which is just pretty much Mad Max. Although recently uh since Fallout four came out, uh, you know, they've they've had overlap with, with Fallout stuff too. But uh, okay. you know, it's it's primarily Mad Max. And like um they actually had I this is kind of out of a uh, uh series continuity for Mad Max too, but they had like they have the Thunderdome at Wasteland, oh. and, like, I mean, it wasn't – you weren't fighting to the death, but, uh, you know, you, you sign a waiver and everything before you go in. Right. But Yeah. No, it, it goes crazy. <laughs> like, um, And if, if just Thunderdome is anything to go by for, like, what the movies are like – I know a lot of people say that, like, Mad Max 1 is kind of boring. Mm. W- would you
0: say that? I wouldn't say it's boring. I think it's, you need it to set up the character, but at the same time, too, I understand that if you watch Mad Max 2 after or without seeing Mad Max 1 and then go watch Mad Max 1, it's going to seem a little different. Like, I feel like the right order to watch these movies in is to watch the first one and then Fury Road, then the second one, then the third one. Because, what, Fury Road, why that order?
1: Does, does Fury Road take place like after Mad Max 1?
0: Yeah, it's between Mad Max 1 and 2. So if you want to go based on the timeline, you watch the first one definitely first, and then Fury Road, then 2 and 3, because the thing is is that the great thing about these movies too is that you really just need some shit going down, Max shows up, helps him out, end of the day. That's really all you need from a movie. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's um, a lot like the Indiana Jones stuff where there's not really a strict timeline. Things just sort of happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I don't mind that to be honest. I mean, I don't need yeah I don't need movies to have these huge convoluted continuities all the time. No, I mean it, it. It helps if you know that that's the kind of movie that's gonna like if that's the kind of movie that you're gonna be watching. You know, because like yeah. if like for stuff like Indiana Jones, um, stuff like Mad Max, the the more kind of, I mean, probably even for like. Core Henry and like uh what is it the the, the transport uh, no not trans uh, the transporter films yeah with Jason Statham like you you know you're not going in because you care a lot about the story you're going in because you care about the action yeah and so they're able to get away with that kind of loose continuity because they know that, like it's not going to be uh like the the, the people going to watch it don't care about it but as soon as you get into movies like I guess now like the Terminator series. Like, like one and two had their own little thing, and then they just kind of had to keep building off of that continuity, and that's where it falls apart, yeah. you know? Because oh, totally. they they spend way too much time on stuff like that, and people just cared about the kind of general action of the of the thing.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, we don't need these continuities all the time. It's like, you know, we're talking about uh, Batman v Superman before we started recording. It's this idea that like when you go into that film, they're obviously trying to set up justice league and all these other heroes and all this other stuff. But it's like, if you took it out, you, you know, this would just be just another movie, but instead they're like, Oh, Hey, we've got a sprinkle teaser throughout just so you guys know that this is coming. It's just like,
1: okay. Yeah. And and they're, they're kind of taking a backwards approach to it. Like as opposed to what Marvel did, where they set up the individual heroes and then they made the, the joint movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Marvel's getting really hard for me to keep up with now, so I'm not, like, too fond of their business model currently, but, I mean, I definitely think that their model makes sense because they know the people that are going to watch each movie have watched the previous movie, but they're also smart enough to know that there's just going to be, you know, a a mom and dad taking their kid to see it because he likes Iron Man or whatever, so they have to make it uh, cemented enough in the universe while also staying kind of serialized, so you can go in, or not, not, not serialized, but uh, standalone. Yeah. So you can go in, kind of know what happened before, it's not too important, and then you can just get to watch the movie. Whereas with, I, I definitely feel like with, um, with what they're starting to do now with their, what DC is starting to do now with their movies, it's very much like, it's just everywhere is what I feel like, because, like, the, the, the Dark Knight movies aren't canon anymore, uh, Man of Steel has an asshole Superman, and then <laughs> Batman v Superman is just setting everything up, practically, right? I mean, isn't that, I have a lot of complaints that it was, um, they spend way too much time focusing on setting up Wonder Woman and Justice League that they don't focus a lot on the actual fight between Batman and Superman.
0: Yeah, they definitely do, and, uh, um, sorry, these guys are probably like, don't talk about this. We're talking about 1981, but I'm sorry, Batman v Superman just came out, guys.
1: We have to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, and they they existed in the '80s. I mean, it's not too far removed. No. like 20 or
0: 30 something years. What we really should have seen is uh, Michael Keaton taking on Christopher Reeves. You know, that would have been <laughs> <clears throat> that would be fun. That would have that been would a have great be Batman v Superman. In fact, when I went to go see the movie in the uh, theater. They had this like. The movie theater thought they were, they were so clever because they had spliced together like footage of Michael Keaton's Batman and Christopher Reeve's Superman. And they tried to like paint it as the two were going against each other. And people were like, oh, man, this is so good. This is so clever. I'm like, it's literally like the worst editing job ever because it was just somebody just being <laughs> like... Uh, like, it was basically...
1: It's like an iMovie and just kind of splice it together.
0: It was honestly just like... Batman just being like, oh, Batman. And then it was, you know, Christopher Reeve just, like, adjusting his glasses and then flying away with Superman. I'm like, that's, but people are getting so excited. Because, again, it's the idea that, yeah, these characters are together on screen. Something yeah. that I feel like seeing that on screen now, like, seeing characters together, like, characters that maybe might have not have been before is just not as exciting as it once was. Marvel sort of took the, uh, the magic out of that after we saw Iron Man and the on screen together at the same time um escape from new york moving on to another 80s action movie uh i feel like i know some people are going to really hate me for saying this but i actually prefer escape from new york over mad max 2 uh in terms of being like an 80s action movie i feel like escape from new york was just so much fun and uh john carpenter obviously great director he's uh got a good body of work
1: uh have you seen that movie from new york escape from new york i've seen it in fits and starts but i saw it like it was on my tv one day when i was sick and i kept falling in and out of you know awareness mm. uh, so i really don't know what was going on in the movie but like from what i can remember of it it was very um i and i read up on the the summary kind of before we started uh it's very video gamey you know it's it's, oh, it's totally. that it was, I mean, it's it was action movie e for the time. That's how they were set up, but now it's it's very much like set piece after set piece after you know flying in on a hang glider and stuff. Yeah, it's just it's like when when you hear that, it's hard not to really get excited because it's like okay, this guy's gonna fly into New York on a hang glider and rescue the president. Like, it's it's definitely like kind of off the wall of an idea. Mm-hmm. So, um, I. What, what I know most about this is that um, this is what Hideo Kojima looked at when he was trying to design Solid Snake. Do you know about that? Oh, yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. I mean, Hideo Kojima, he, or Kojima, he said countless times that he basically just looks at movies, and that's where he gets most of his influence from, like James Bond and, yeah, uh, Escape from New York and quite a few other stuff. Like, I feel like it's kind of funny that he just takes the greatest hits of pop culture and just is like, I'm going to make a video game with all this stuff in in it. Like, that's kind of amazing. Like, you don't see that too often nowadays, so. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, mean, from what I can tell, uh, Metal Gear Solid 1 is just escape with some nouns changed around because you have to rescue the DARPA chief in in Metal Gear Solid 1. He's being held prisoner by uh, rogue, uh, you know, secret army agent people. Uh the main character's name is Snake. Like yeah. don't know why I didn't mention that first. He's also he, he answers statements with questions about the the previous statement. Yeah. Like it's very uh an isolated area. Yeah. That that's that's what I was really talking about when I said it's it's video gaming, is that it's oh, totally. it takes um, it, oh, Totally. You know, it's it's just kind of nonstop uh I can't believe this is happening. Oh well, gotta rescue the president. Uh,
0: yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like oh, I just Same fought a bunch happened. of, bunch of guys. Now I'm just gonna go and you know rescue. But even in the, the movie, like there's this idea of like sub bosses and you know like enemies that are a bit tougher than the regular enemies. And it's like oh yeah, it's totally video gamey.
1: Yeah, when when did that kind of thing start happening? Because when you when you mentioned sub bosses, yeah. I I always think of those scenes in action movies where. Um, the main character, fighter guy, he, he like, gets rid of everyone, and then, like, big Andre the Giant guy walks in, and he just starts punching him in the stomach, and then he just... The big guy just kind of chuckles, and he, he chuckles, like, in a Russian accent somehow, and then he mm. picks him up and then throws him away. You know, like... When did that start happening in movies? I feel like 81 was
0: a good year for that to start, because you had Raiders, which definitely had mm-hmm. that... Um... Evil Dead, even I guess in a certain sense too, where you had like some of the deadites that were a little bit different than the others, and mm-hmm. Mad Max: Skate from New York. Almost all of these movies had these, this idea of sub bosses. So maybe, maybe we uh, discover that 1981 is the beginning beginning of the of the sub boss in movies.
1: I mean, maybe like it. It definitely. Um... I don't know, it, it certainly feels like a lot of what we've been talking about for these movies, at the very least, has set up groundwork, you know, for, for oh, what yeah. would come way later, like de- definitely in the, the current time. Oh, no, totally. Um,
0: okay, hopping off our list of movies, it's probably the most obscure movie that came out in 1981 for, well, at least some people, uh, The Cannonball Run. A uh, bit of a odd movie, but... Uh, I guess I'll just ask, like, have you seen this movie before, Tenable
1: Room? No, I had never even heard of it until I was reading
0: the notes today. Okay, because it's actually kind of an amazingly (laughs) cheesy movie. It's basically these cars in this, you know, they're going across country or whatever, and, uh, you know, the people who are driving the cars, they're not exactly, you know, good people. They're, you know, running each other off the road and all that other stuff. But, like, when you watch it, like, there was a lot of big name actors at the time in it, like Jackie Chan, Burt Reynolds, Farrah Fawcett, Roger Moore, James Bond himself. Like all so these people, this, just this, this sounds
1: like uh, not not Fury Road, uh, Fast and Furious. This re- <laughs> it really sounds like that.
0: It, it it basically is one long Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah, um, it it's honestly not a great movie, but it's just it's fun because it's just so cheesy and. Yeah, Burt Reynolds, I have this affinity for Burt Reynolds because he's just, he seems like such a dirty guy, but like, also I'm like, uh, I can kind of empathize with the guy, I can kind of get behind whatever he's doing, um, but uh, yeah, Cannibal Run. That's one movie that like, obvi- most of these movies people have seen that we're talking about, but if there's one that you yeah. haven't seen more than likely, it's Cannonball Run, and I'm not going to go say like, go see it right now, but... Ever get a chance to watch it, it is a pretty amusing movie.
1: Um, if, if it's in the eighties version of Fat of uh, Fast and the Furious, I'm definitely gonna check it out because those movies are already kind of crazy and cheesy, but if it's like put in, into the eighties time frame, I that's something I can't pass up. Yeah.
0: Um let's move on to video games. I've got a few big name video games that came out this year. First one being Donkey Kong. I'm just gonna say I was never good at Donkey Kong. I never even had really respect much for the game until I watched the movie uh, King of Kong or whatever. I think it was that—that's what it's called, the documentary where it focused on people who played Donkey Kong, and I was like, "Oh, this game's legit."
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I—I I, I never heard of that.
0: It's a pretty good documentary. It's—it's it's kind of funny because like obviously with eSports and MLG and all that stuff nowadays, you know, people obviously take competitive gaming now a little bit more seriously than they used to. But yeah, you know, uh, the movie King of Kong, it, it focuses on these two people who are vying for the world championship in Donkey Kong. And like to see the extent that people practice, like, you know, basically just practicing in their basement on an arcade machine they have in their garage or whatever. And it's just like, kind of intense like people got really into that game uh and we've talked about this on past episodes where it was like obviously now we look at a game like donkey kong we're like whatever this is, i'll go play call of duty or whatever but man when that game first came out like that's all people had and <clears throat> you know yeah they were like this is our witcher <laughs> <laughs> well, 3
1: yeah, because, because you, know. you had to keep paying money in it to keep playing and get better so like yeah Especially because of that, like, I mean, people would go broke because they were trying to get the high score on Donkey Kong. Yeah. Which is just a crazy thought to have. Because you don't even do that, like, at all with the arcades you see in, like, movie theaters or whatever. No. Where it's like, you know, you can play the Terminator Salvation game and you just kill all the, the Terminators and then you die. And then you're like, oh, okay, got to go home now. You know, yeah. you, like, you don't you don't care as much about it. But, yeah, like you were saying back then, it was this and then maybe like Atari games in the, the home market, except I'm not sure that they really, uh, I know I think Atari home systems did exist at the time, but you know, they were they so didn't. far out of reach to a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, we were talking about that last week, the idea that, yeah, there were these video game like home consoles, but it was, it was pretty, it wasn't on par with the arcade experience just yet. And it would take mm-hmm. a few years before they were sort of on par with each other in terms of quality um, but another game that came out in 1981 that a lot of people
1: will probably recognize is Frogger. Uh, yeah, no, a, I know a it really great well. Great rendition of the song. Like, <laughs> yeah, you think? I feel like somebody
0: right now is trying to get that as a ringtone for their phone. Just saying. Um, no Frogger. I feel like Donkey Kong. I I sucked at Donkey Kong. I was so bad at it. But Frogger, like, I feel like I'm decent at Frogger. Like, I can do pretty well at Frogger until I get bored and I'm like, whatever, I'm going to go play Call of Duty.
1: <laughs> yeah, Fro- Frogger's not necessarily a hard game. I'm not sure if, no. if it was ever in an arcade game, but it's, it's still around today, yeah. which is, this, this is crazy. It's still around today, but in the form of Crossy Road. Yes. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then you get all different, like, chickens and freaking, like, bagpipe people and stuff. It's, yeah. it's crazy like how because like you don't really see that translation with um with other more classic games no. like you kind of have like the mario clones kind yeah. of like not even that but like crossy road is huge and it's it based off of a game that really like if you ask people like oh you like you know donkey kong you know this 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 but like you say Frogger and they're like what Like, it's not, like, an obscure game, but, like, people don't really know it, and for it to be so popular now that it's in the form of something else, it's kind of weird. I don't know what it is about the game formula that, like, is really kind of uh, addictive enough to be a mobile game, you know? Because it's fun. Yeah. You touch on this great point, too, that, like,
0: nowadays, too, you know, people are taking these older games and remixing them of sorts, like... I got really into this uh, Pac-Man Championship edi- Edition DX a couple years ago. And it was mm-hmm. like, wasn't like was even a great game, but it was like it was this idea that it was just the very simple Pac-Man game that they had redone with some cool like updated graphics and the gameplay was obviously tightened up and all this other stuff. And it was a lot of fun. Again, it's a very simple game, but it's just a lot of fun. I think that... Frogger's the same thing, where, yeah, you can take it and make it into this Crossy Road, which, by the way, I'll admit that I've played Crossy Road quite a bit uh, yeah. in, in the time it's been out. I haven't played it in a while. Lately, I play Hearthstone on my phone, but um, Crossy Road definitely get, got a lot of playtime for a while there. Um, yeah, yeah the,
1: the only game I think that has, or that has stood up to kind of constant remixing, aside from, I guess, like the more Nintendo uh, Games like Zelda and Mario and stuff has been Tetris, because you can like I I played a Tetris World or whatever what it is for uh, the Nintendo 64, Mm -hmm. and that was great. That is so fun. Yes. And then I had it for uh, for my 3DS, and it's just like arcade fever marathon, like all these different kinds of different games you can make with the just the very simple Tetris formula. It's crazy because it's it's still going. Oh yeah. Like it it is not losing steam people just still care
0: about that that game. And it's like, again, you know, say any of, the, any of these games, like they have a very basic gameplay formula and now you have people who've been growing up with it who are like, hey, what if we like made it where every time, you know, the Tetris thing falls down, you know, you get like three more or something crazy like that. Like people are starting to come up with new ideas to play with the formula, which I think is great. I, I yeah. think that's, obviously a great way to keep these games relevant i mean again i don't i haven't played donkey kong in years and i think if i did i'd probably suck but yeah i'll play crossy road i'll play frogger because again i get that general gameplay concept of i gotta dodge cars i gotta cross the street that's all i need to do um speaking of another simple game miss pac-man uh Mm -hmm. not like a huge deal because like pac-man had already come out but then you know his girlfriend or whatever, all, all of a sudden gets the limelight here. Uh And I think, too, like, I've heard from people, and I've never found this out myself, but I've heard that Miss Pac-Man's a bit tighter of an experience than the original Pac-Man. Yeah. Like,
1: no, it is. Miss um, Pac-Man was actually... Uh, Atari kind of did... Uh, Atari made Pac-Man, right? Yes. Okay, so Atari did what Valve is now famous for doing, which is... Someone made a mod. They they bought like a Pac-Man arcade machine and modified it. Mm. And they they made um the ghost AI smarter. They changed a few different things about like the Pac-Man character sprite. Yeah. They they fixed a few things with it. And it got really popular. And Atari was like, we'll buy that off mm-hmm. of you. And they were like, okay. And then they changed uh, They they kept like the ghost AI and stuff like that, but then they changed their character sprite of pac-man which was just like the regular thing but with legs for some oh. reason they changed yeah. that into miss pac-man and then mm. boom new game
0: yeah and you know what it's i know people who are like i won't play pac-man i'll play miss pac-man any any time of the day and i'm like really all right
1: <laughs> i'm impressed I would, I would only play pac-man just i mean i'm not great at it at all but what mm. i want to do is eventually get so good at it that i get to level 255 and then my game crashes that's that's what i aspire to be
0: we found this out on the last episode of this podcast that they took that uh that last level and they turned it into its own little game which i find kind of amazing like somebody just took that that meme of that one broken level and they just turned uh-huh. it into its own little game on ios yeah it's pretty funny oh wow
1: that's yeah. that's pretty cool
0: yeah it's kind of like again these guys becoming self-aware of what they've created um Final uh little one we'll, oh, little game we'll talk about this week, obviously not as big as the other three I guess in a lot of ways, but Tempest, I mean, I don't, I don't think
1: Tempest yeah. really holds up as well. Uh, uh n- no, I mean I guess it doesn't. But the the really interesting thing about I I watched um a documentary about um the Atari finding ET in the desert, you know? Yes. And a lot of it. Well a lot of the movie was actually like the background of Atari and like what would have led them to do such a thing and a lot of that uh that like kind of history section was focused on the like console and or like the arcade cabinet and the like home console versions of games they were making and I think it was all by like a lot of the um Atari famous games were made by one guy, yeah. He made Tempest. He made Missile Command. I think he made like Asteroid. He made he made like everything that Atari became famous for, and like he wrote up Tempest. Oh, what was it? He wrote it up in like three days. Like the the history background for Tempest. Yeah, it's really it. Um, it's I think impressive. the history behind Tempest is probably more uh, interesting than the actual game itself. But oh, totally. And... I still think that, like, because like, it's, like, a semi-3D game, which at that mm. time was, like, near impossible. Like, I, like N- Nintendo didn't even do that until they had Star Fox on their uh, NES, you know? And yeah. even then, it wasn't quite 3D. But they were no. doing it on an Atari, like, like, earlier.
0: Yeah. And, actually, I've seen that documentary, too. It's actually a really great documentary. I mean, sort of as, like, a you know, recommended viewing if you like this podcast and you like all that, all the stuff that we talk about. Definitely go check it out. I think it's called Game Over, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Something like that. Yeah, yeah. we really should know that the name. i Recommend it. Uh,
0: no, it is actually a really good documentary because, yeah, big bulk of that documentary is them unearthing ET, but also too, it's the fact that, yeah, I mean, Atari was just pumping out games during this time, and you know. There wasn't the standard of quality that we have now. It was basically just, hey, we're going to release a game. That's, uh, we'll see how that goes. And yeah.
1: And, then, and for a while, everything was going really well. And then they had ET.
0: Yes. By the way, it's called Atari Game Over. So yeah. I was pretty much right. Yeah. Uh, sorry for my life, by the way. Um, moving on to music. Quite a, quite a few albums that came out in 1981. Uh, now, last week, the guy that I had on was like, "Hey, these are all pretty much classic rock," and I'm like, "You know what? I think that was pretty much the genre that was really prevalent."
1: I mean, well, I mean, classic rock at that time was just you know, rock, rock. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you so, can't really expect to not have classic rock on a pop culture podcast if it's going back in time to a specific. Yes. year like that's that's going to be the music that existed
0: yes so i know some people are like hey this song came out i'm like that's that's cool but i'm really i'm going from the perspective of what was popular so mm-hmm. I, i've had some people subsequently email me and be like how come you didn't talk about this album i'm like i'm sorry i mean i could also talk about some really weird soap operas that came out in 1981 too but
1: we I'm should sorry. that would be fun <laughs> <laughs>
0: What kind of soap operas that nobody would watch nowadays came out? Yeah. Uh, even talking about Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which we're going to talk about later, seems like a stretch because that show is just terrible. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> um, one of the, of the albums that came out in 1981 is uh escape by journey, which let's be honest. There's only one song on that album that anybody remembers and it's don't stop believing.
1: Yeah. I was uh, going to try to break into song for that, but you don't, like one, I'm a terrible singer and two I'm sick, so it would have just been like kind of instant instant <laughs> death for everyone, but yeah, no, like yeah, that
0: song there's decent songs on that album, like let's not discount the fact that there's other songs on that album, but yeah, don't stop believing that's the that's the main song on that album that everyone remembers.
1: yeah, and I think kind of to be fair, uh albums at that time, uh just kind of for everyone they were made to sell the singles that were on there. And then the other kind of songs were just kind of like, they weren't just kind of slapped together most of the time, but you know, they weren't Mm -hmm. really given a lot of thought to put into them, you know? So,
0: yeah. Um, No, totally. And I think that, you know, nowadays when people release an album, like Miley Cyrus or whatever, like they try to have as many singles on that album as possible, but yeah. Yeah. Back in nineteen eighty one. I think people were totally fine with just one or two singles on an album and that was it. Like nowadays you know, when an album releases you can almost guarantee that half of those songs will be turned into singles singles, sorry. But um yeah, Journey. Don't stop believing.
1: Don't stop believing. When did stop. uh oh fuck what's the uh Boston. When did Boston release their first album? Boston. Let's take a
0: quick <laughs> little research break here.
1: that that uh album I think stands more on its own, despite the fact that it's, like, I think, like, what, the first three songs on it are uh, singles, you have long time, and then, oh, God, what's the other one? 1976. Oh, wow, so a lot earlier. Yes.
0: Funny enough, like, we started this whole thing on 1977, so we
1: missed it by a year. (laughs) But, <laughs> I think I think that guy deserves a lot more credit because he like pretty much recorded everything himself in his basement, and then he got a touring band together. And he's still apparently recording albums because he's ha- he just released one last year too, under like the Boston title or or under like a solo name. Uh, Boston apparently. Wow. Uh, yeah, artist Boston. Yeah,
0: August twenty eighth, twenty fifteen. Still releasing albums apparently. Good on you, Boston.
1: Doesn't know when to stop. <laughs> right. doesn't give up just you know
0: whatever uh, debts he has just won't let him which is usually the case <laughs> for musicians right it's like yeah. I'm good I don't need to perform anymore oh shit I owe like a ton <laughs> of money to the IRS
1: Okay, <laughs> I'm the Rolling Stones I don't have to make a new album for 20 more years I can I can just tour on this <laughs> yes
0: yeah that's the thing you know Rolling Stones they don't even have to record new stuff they can basically just be like yeah, we can play like probably 20 of our songs you guys will be happy um, moving on though, uh, "Moving Pictures" by Rush. Oh my gosh! Out of all the albums we're talking about this year, "Moving Pictures" is probably my personal favorite. Um, I don't know. Are you a fan of Rush at
1: all, or? Uh, <laughs> not really. No. Darn it. Uh, I mean, out. I've heard I've heard Tom Sawyer because I played it a lot on like Rock Band. I think it was Rock Band yes. One. Um, and then uh, what was the other one? It was like Y Y Z. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Uh Mind uh, Light's I, also
0: a very popular one
1: too. See, I've only heard Tom Sawyer and like bits of YYZ. The only okay. thing I can think of when I think of Rush is uh did you ever see what was it? I think it was called Fanboys.
0: Oh, it was the, the Star Wars movie. Yeah.
1: Or oh, the Star I can Wars think of when I think of Rush is just that guy driving in his car and he's forcing everyone to listen to Rush. He's like, hey, you guys don't understand. Rush is amazing. That's
0: all I can think of. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Actually, um, you know, I, I, I like this one Paul Rudd movie called I Love You, Man. And Rush plays a pretty crucial role in that movie. Uh, even though it's a Paul Rudd comedy movie. It's, you know, that's the thing I love about Paul Rudd movies. He, he just chooses this random thing to focus on. Like, in I Love You, Man. He's like, hey, this movie's going to also be about Rush for some reason. Hmm. Uh, so if you are interested in Rush, go watch I Love You, Man, which also... Has a pretty good cast.
1: I mean, I, I know Rush is a, is a uh, good band. Like, they're good at playing and they're good at composing everything. I just don't quite like it. I watched... Mm. It was on, like, Palladium or something. It was, uh, you know, a live concert film. Yes. Uh, I don't remember its name, but its concept was going back in time. Like, they had all these, like, clock things going on and everything. You know? Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think I've seen that before. Um.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean they're they're really good. And doesn't the drummer have like one of those huge and like almost encompasses him drum sets? Yeah, I yeah. mean, I respect that. I respect that a lot. I'll I'll say this too,
0: as a Canadian, like I'm just gonna just say it outright. <laughs> Rush yep. is
1: like your like Look,
0: national pastime. We have fucking terrible artists. Like we contribute nothing to the pop culture landscape. Like. Neil Young, okay, he's he's one of the better ones. Justin Bieber, <laughs> terrible. Drake, also terrible. Brian Adams. That's
1: right. Drake's because, from Canada. Yeah. Because he Drake was on the
0: <laughs> Yeah. I forgot that. Our Lady Peace, who who remembers those guys? Like I don't even know them.
1: That's a new name.
0: Yeah. Like, there's a lot of really bad Canadian artists. I feel like Rush is in the pantheon of Canadian musicians where it's like if you're Canadian, you don't mind admitting being like, oh, yeah, I'm from Canada. Same place Russia's from. You know, you're know, you not going to say that about Justin Bieber. You're not going to be like, hey, I'm from the same country as Justin Bieber.
1: Nobody cares. No, but you just have to say, I'm from Canada. That's where poutine is. And everyone will just be like, okay, yeah, no, that's enough yeah. to be proud of.
0: I mean, you can get poutine here at, at a McDonald's, which
1: is kind of amazing. Yeah, um, you can kind of get it down here in America with like in more specialty stores. Yeah. Yeah, So I, I couldn't say that I've had it But I haven't had like you know Canadian poutine So I, I, I gotta get on that I guess Well it's funny because
0: I travel to the states for my day job You know a few times every year And like I'll go to McDonald's and be like hey can I get some poutine they're like what the hell are you talking about And I'm like what Like you're telling me you don't know what fries, gravy and cheese is like, They probably don't
1: to- even have gravy Like on yeah. hand In a bunch of stores you know
0: Like if I even tried to tell them how to make it Like it's just fries and gravy with cheese. They probably put like a thing of processed cheese on top of it and be like, is this what you mean? And I'd be like, no, you guys just, no, no. no." Um, but yeah, I'm just looking at Canadian artists now, broken social scene. I like those guys. I like broken social scene. I actually like their whole label that they're under, but they're very indie. So no one's going to know who they are.
1: I know Uh, them from the Scott Pilgrim movie, which takes place in Canada.
0: Oh yes. Yeah. Um, My, uh, co-host that i've mentioned now twice on this podcast carlos that's like one of his favorite comic book movies of all time because it's... not only does it take place in toronto where he's from but it's also a comic book movie so he feels oh, like yeah. it's just so many things going for him right there um but yeah rush i mean when, when you're talking about good canadian artists rush is up there with neil young uh, mm. and a few others moving on though uh the police you know, ghost in the machine I'm, yeah Here's the thing. I'm totally indifferent <laughs> to the police. Like, I can recognize that people like them, but I'm just... It's not for me. It's not my thing. Sorry if you're a fan of the police. <laughs> no,
1: I, I, I like them. I, I, I think the same thing about them as I think about Horse. Like, I know they're all kind of really talented musicians because they play around in a lot of different genres. Yeah. The interesting thing about Ghosts in the Machine, though, is this is, a, this is the year right after Sting got deserted on an island, but right before he starts stalking women for a lifetime. You know, uh, he's right in that little awkward gray area where he doesn't quite know what to do with himself. I did not know this about Sting. No, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about, though?
0: Oh, like the music videos? Is that what it is? No,
1: no, like, um, the album right before Ghost in the Machine is the one that has Message in a Bottle on it. Oh, OK. And then the album right after this one, which I think is Synchronicity, is the one where uh, uh, not uh, what's the, the name? Uh, I'll Be Watching You or Every Breath You Take, or whatever it's called, that's the album that... Uh, oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So
1: it's right after he's deserted on an island, but right before he starts stalking women for a lifetime. And now I get this joke.
0: <laughs> I should have had more coffee before he podcasted. Yeah. Not like I really needed an excuse to drink more coffee. Um. Okay. Moving on. Uh... <laughs> I mean,
1: it's a good album. It's just... I want to I'm sorry.
0: It. I just... I don't care about the police. Like... I'll be, like, at work, and normally I, I listen to Spotify when I'm at work, which is kind of partially the reason I started doing this podcast, is, like, all old, old old music came up, and of course, like, we had, you know, continuations of old movies, like, we had a sequel to Rocky and a sequel to Star Wars last year, so that's what sort of, like, got the gears turning for this podcast, but it was even, like, just listening to old music, and I'm like, oh, shit, when did that come out? Oh, shit, okay, and, like, I don't know, I what I do every week is what I try to do at least is make a playlist with the albums of the next week that I'm going to be talking about. So I can at least listen to them. And I was listening to ghost in the machine this past week. And I was just like, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't care about any of these songs. <laughs> yeah, Not when I just I, listen yeah, to rush I don't for that, really. <laughs> it's like, I just listened to rush and Rolling Stones and Van Halen's coming up next. Like, I'm sorry, guys. I, I can't give proper uh, love to the to the police. <laughs> Next up, though, is "Fair Warning" by Van Halen. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know if this is everyone's. I don't think this is anyone's favorite Van Halen album, but I could be totally yeah, I wrong. So. I'm, I,
1: no, I, I think it was like, I read like its stats, and it was like it's it was a well-selling album, but it was the slowest-moving Van Halen album of all, of all time. Yeah. Or no, of the David Lee Roth era is what it was.
0: And that's the thing with a lot of these bands is that they were just churning out albums. And the thing is, obviously now we're going to be like, oh, Van Halen, a pretty good band. Yeah, they probably had like a few really good albums. But they also had some that were just okay, like not great, not I mean either. But,
1: but be honest, isn't Van Halen known for like, not their albums, but their songs? You know, oh, like so a lot like... of these kind of older older bands. Like the only real
0: Van Halen album that I can like recognize is the one with the baby on it
1: which is kind of see i don't even know what you're talking about with that (laughs) i'm not i'm not a really big classic rock person so this is kind of a uh a bad year for me to get i guess
0: that's okay i mean it's we can bring you on if you want to talk about like nickelback down the road or something
1: Oh, I can I can talk about Nickelback. I can totally do that. (laughs) I can talk (laughs) about how they're secretly really good musicians because you know their songs and they stay in your head even though they're not good songs.
0: It's it's a very subtle art to do that. I'm having my ten year high school reunion this year, and I know it's kind of dating me, but (laughs) I'm I'm kind of old. I'm getting old, and you know I'm thinking of like the songs that I danced to at my uh, high school prom. And I remember there was at least two songs that were Nickelback songs that people danced to. I don't and, get how you could dance to the Nickelback song. Oh, there was a few that were like, I don't know. Like I hate to admit this, but they were so cheesy, like uh, cheesy love ballads or whatever. I mean, Nickelback's uh-huh. not the greatest band. I think like the no. one song of theirs that I remember is hero. And that was only because it was on the Spider-Man soundtrack.
1: No way. Are you, seriously? Yeah. Nickelback was in Spider-Man?
0: Yeah, they had a the whole song for Spider-Man. And I don't even think... It, like, the funny thing is, is, it wasn't even in the movie. Like, I'd have to rewatch Spider-Man to see if this is right or I, I, not. But... Yeah,
1: no, I don't think it's in the movie. Because I would have... Because I, when I saw Spider-Man, I was really, really little. And mm. I, like, fell in love with it. And I know that if, if that Nickelback song was playing in the movie... I would be a Nickelback fan right now just because of how much I loved Spider-Man. So I can almost guarantee it's not in the movie. But it it probably would have been on that soundtrack that they had where it's like music inspired by Spider-Man or whatever.
0: Yeah. I think they had like a music video where like at the beginning of the music video, Spider-Man kind of swings by. And then it just goes into the music video. So then you know, (laughs) at least it's tied to Spider-Man somewhere. That's
1: always how they were too for like the music videos for uh, songs that were like about a movie. The music videos were all, like, shots of the band playing, cut to a scene from the movie. Shots of the band playing, scene from the movie.
0: And uh, on, my, on the main show, we're going to be talking about Daredevil's second season, which debuted. uh oh God, last week. so good. It's and I'm so like, good. for as good as it is, the only thing that really it was missing that I would have loved to see included is an Evanescence soundtrack. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's really what would, would have elevated it to perfection. Because uh, yeah, Evanescence track from the Daredevil movie, completely terrible song. But oh man, is well like when it came out, like I remember people were listening to that song so
1: much. Was it Bring Me to Life? Was that the one that was on the Daredevil soundtrack? Yeah. Oh my god, I remember like I, this is all I really remember
0: of that song. I know people are like, were like, "You're not talking about 1981." I'm sorry, guys, we're conversing. It's how this podcast works, um, but. I remember that song. I was in someone's car and they were driving, it and they like turned it on. And I remember I was like, "Oh, that song's pretty good." And they're like, "Yeah, man, it's so deep. It's got so many emotional layers to it." I listen to it now. I'm like, there's no emotional layers to it. It's it's a pretty terrible song. But
1: the interesting thing about Evanescence is that like she the the lead singer. I don't remember her name. I think it's like something Lee. She uh, wanted to be just a straight-up, like, female... I guess that's, like, what, new metal? Uh, Mm -hmm. Something like that. She wanted to be just a uh, straight-up female-fronted new metal band, but her label wouldn't let her do that, or they wouldn't let her be so prominently featured unless um, they had, like, a male guy on some of their... or on, like, a majority of their songs. So that's why they have that, like, really weird, um, like, rap breakdown with that guy going, like, without a voice, without a soul... (laughs) <laughs> that's why he's there. Is Because their label were like You can't be popular if you don't have this guy <laughs> And she was like well okay I guess I have to do this then
0: You need a man to be important Oh yeah, gosh great. Sexism, gotta love it uh, Or no, don't love it that, <laughs> <about people. laughs> no. Don't love no. sexism <laughs> Please um, Final album we'll talk about this week That's not about Evanescence or Nickelback is uh tattoo you by the rolling stones and i hate to say this because i think some rolling stones fans are gonna get really mad at me for saying this i think like van halen's fair warning decent album but definitely not one of the rolling stones best albums in my opinion at least um i think there's only really like one song that i remember off the album the fact that i can't remember the name of it isn't it start
1: me up start me up yeah yeah
0: like that's the only real song I remember off that album. Everything else is basically like, you yeah, know, it's okay. Um, and even start me up. It's not it's not even like one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs. Like it's no,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> it's not near the top. I know for I some mean, people.
1: There yeah. there's that whole thing, uh, are you a Stones fan or a Beatles fan? Mm. Really, I'm I'm neither. I don't I no. don't particularly care for both of them. I'm mean, for either of them.
0: You just throw up your hands, you're like, I don't give a shit about you. either. No, I I
1: ones. mean I re- I really don't. I I I acknowledge their importance in the musical world, but like, I really do not care for them at all. Like their, their singles are are fine. Yeah. uh, But their album, like if you just, if you listen to their albums as like a collective whole, like from when they start to, I, I guess would have been into like what the Mm nineties, they start to just go crazy. They go
0: really insane.
1: I think, too, like,
0: and this is, and again, I, I hate to say this, but, like, you get this with movies where, like, you get the elitist who's, like, have you seen every Stanley Kubrick film? And you're, like, no, I've seen, like, The Shining, but I haven't watched it. Oh, well, then you're missing out because they're a really great cinematic experience. It's the same thing with the, the music. People are, like, you need to listen to The Beatles. No, you don't. Like, honestly, like, I listen to The Beatles. There's probably a few of their songs that I enjoy, but there's a lot of the stuff that I'm just, like, this is not for me. Rolling What's, Stones, I tend to gravitate to just because they have, they seem to be a bit more cutting edge, I guess, than the Beatles.
1: Like they were a bit yeah, more... you could call them cutting edge. You, yeah, you like, could call them that.
0: They were a bit more like, you know, the they, they were and... a lot
1: more experimental than the Beatles became. Oh, totally. Kind and of I thi- by well, by virtue of them existing longer you know um they they got to uh no i mean i mean that really because like the beatles existed for oh i don't know the years but probably like a roughly 10 year span is that fair to say well i think john lennon died in 1980 i think
0: or yeah i think 1980 is when he died
1: i associate beatles with like the 60s but kind of only the 60s so they probably ended sometime and then yeah but then john lennon kind of well they they all continued to do music but out of um you know, uh, at their own rates, and not in the Beatles anymore. But like, they they got to evolve kind of by themselves. But yeah. but Rolling Stones got to evolve together, and that meant like all the the craziness of trying to stay modern, stay hip. Uh, you know, got really kind of uh, what's the word? Um, oh, I can't think of it. Uh, it's it got the concentration of craziness was bigger. Yeah, because they had like a weird kind of concept album for a movie didn't they oh a uh, yellow submarine yeah no i uh the, the rolling stones i don't think so really i, I, I could be they wrong. had like some weird or like they were developing the like a soundtrack to something i they i can be they totally had wrong. like a a kind of kiss uh looking album one time too i think I, they were just trying to make a bunch of stuff up and see what what stuck for them
0: but I, Like, this is, like, for my view, I think, is that, like, the Rolling Stones, there's always, like, so many stories of, like, you know, Mick Jagger and them getting, like, involved in orgies and all this other stuff. And whether it's true or not is whatever, but, like, the fact is is, like, what was really happening in the Beatles' personal lives that were really worth talking about, like, you know, John Lennon started dating Yoko Ono, and she was, like, shrieking on TV one time, and no one liked her, like, (laughs) yeah. There's this really What's funny that? video, if if you have the time, look it up, where John Lennon goes on this one talk show, uh, and he brings Yoko Ono on, and he starts performing music, and you know, John Lennon being John Lennon, he's a pretty decent performer, but Yoko Ono is just fucking terrible in this video, and in the, like, she, you know, we were talking next actually just a little while ago about Evanescence, and the dude just, like, going in with his little rap thing, like, <laughs> the same thing happens with Yoko Ono in this video, where she just shrieks in the middle of a song and it's so out of place, so like, just off-putting, and it's kind
1: of hilarious, like, you want to like, just It's right on the cusp of avant-garde, but mm-hmm. not quite crossing into avant-garde So, If you, you want to see the
0: look of awkwardness on a man's face, just watch that video because you can see the host, he's like, oh yeah, I have John Lennon on my show, this is awesome, he's performing right now And you're just like, oh, Fuck <laughs>
1: If you want to see real awkwardness uh you don't listen to death grips do you i do actually yes. oh you do oh okay so um the interview video that they put up like a week or two ago yes when they're just performing and the guy's just kind of sitting there like okay sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love death grips because they're probably one of the most random music acts out there these, these days uh and yeah, no, they're
1: they're, just... I, I feel like they're definitely kind of in that like performance art kind of avant-garde I mean I don't think avant-garde is really like a fair term for them but they're definitely really out there so it's interesting to see what they do each time they like yeah. release anything
0: I think they understand that more so than any <laughs> other band out there nowadays that in order to be interesting you have to be interesting outside of just what you perform and uh, yeah I mean I think they announced that they were done performing music for a while but then now yeah like years not. ago yeah. yeah and they just they just do this shit to basically troll with people and have fun. I mean, yeah. let's write it on napkins. Yeah. But yeah, no death grips.
1: Awesome. Death grips, Rolling Stones,
0: same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get a crossover and they'll perform together.
1: That I, I would pay so much money to see Keith Richards standing next to MC Ride, just confused out of his mind. I've got a process. you got no process. He's just. That
0: you would know, be if that great. was, like, on YouTube, that would probably be, like, the most viewed video of all time. That I would feel.
1: be, yeah. That would be, like, the pinnacle of human existence is Death Grips and the Rolling Stones.
0: Oh, man. Like, I think we just pitched the most amazing idea. Probably nobody <laughs> yeah.
1: cares. Contact Keith Richards.
0: <laughs> um, moving on from music to TV shows. This is the 80s, so um, people started to move more towards animation, uh, as animation started, started To become more mainstream And uh, There was two Spider-Man shows that came out in 1981 There was a regular Spider-Man show And then there was Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends Which, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends I think has a lot more Like, people remember that one a lot more
1: Because but... it was a lot Like, worse, probably
0: <laughs> Oh, it's it's Terrible, I mean, have you ever seen the show at all Or watched any of it? I,
1: I, um... I watched you know, like clips on YouTube. I've seen the pictures from the, the show where he's like sitting at a desk and there's a bunch of picture frames of him around him. So, yeah, like I, I know about it. Um, my friend actually, uh, he used to live in uh, Aurora, Colorado. And um, little sidetrack, he actually used to go to the movie theater, the, the infamous Aurora movie theater, you know? Oh. Yeah, he used to go. Yes. I, he, he didn't live there at all when that was happening. He was down here, but I mean, mm. he grew up there. And he was watching, uh, he used to, you know, he was a kid when he was living there. So he was watch like, uh, uh, I think it was like the WB at the time. It wasn't the CW. And, um, he was watching just reruns of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, but he didn't know that they were reruns. He oh. thought they were like current animation. <laughs> so when he like, when like it started to become, you know, like a thing on the internet, he was like man like why is this like suddenly becoming so famous this was just something i watched as a kid and then he looked it up and he found out it was from the 80s and he was like what like no way i was like there were new episodes every week on the wb (laughs) (laughs) it shows kind of how locked in time aurora is um yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie like if you watch the
0: show now, I I feel like it would be dated, but I feel like yeah, if you were in a certain place in time, you could probably just be
1: like, oh, it, it's retro, I guess. <laughs> he loved it, like he 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 absolutely loved a Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Probably because he was a little kid, and he didn't know what the hell was going on, but like, yeah. I think that's that's like the fun of it is you never know what's going on in it. He goes to school. He's like, hey guys, I wonder what's going to happen we next week. With Spider-Man. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? Because they, they don't watch it.
0: They don't know that it's even real. The last Spider-Man show we watched definitely didn't have Iceman in it, um, <laughs> which is it's kind of funny. Like I feel like you know, a lot of people will say, oh, it was trying to replicate uh, the success of DC's Super Friends, which I guess is partially true. But I also feel too like there was shows like Three's Company and all that, where it was the idea of like these friends all hanging out. I feel like it was probably partially based on that. I mean, I have no facts to back this up. This is my personal yeah. speculation. No, I,
1: I would have loved to see a Spider-Man sitcom, like a live-action sitcom with Iceman. And what was it, like Flame Girl or something yeah. like that?
0: Yeah, funny story. Yeah. It was like it was supposed to be Human Torch because in the comics, Human Torch and Spider-Man are friends. But mm-hmm. there was legal issues in terms of the Human Torch. So they ended up going with some random character who also had fire abilities called Firestar. That oh, was probably, Firestar, yeah. It was probably a good idea though, because really, if you think about it, it would have just turned into a sausage fest with, you know, Human Torch, Iceman, and Spider Man. So the fact that they put in a girl in there was like, okay, these guys have a case of the not gays because they have a, a female <laughs> character in here. Um, it's
1: it's the, the earliest precursor to Shark Boy and Lava Girl that they could really do.
0: <laughs> it was really just setting up for the massive success that was Shark Boy and Lava Girl.
1: Don't don't talk bad about Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> That had George Lopez as a robot, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, what's his name, the guy that went on to do the Twilight films as a shark person. That was a good. It was a. It's a good movie if you like don't think about it too much. Kind of like Spy Kids, mm. you know. So I you're telling me that George
0: Lopez person. is not a robot in real life? Because that's honestly. Well, no, he's he's a
1: cyborg. It's a gray area.
0: <laughs> that explains his humor. Um another uh, tv show that debuted uh 1981 the smurfs um...
1: <laughs> Is that another
0: that's really creepy now? <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: kind of how they sang it didn't they it was like
0: oh that was it's just really yeah. creepy um i don't know why i mean it should be i mean
1: whisperings of children's tv songs it's not ever going to be like pleasing you know I feel. Too, I could have like, done, uh, what was it? What was the one I sang earlier today? Frogger? I could yes. have done the Frogger theme in A Whisper. That would have been creepy.
0: That would have been really creepy, actually. Um, man, I feel like the Smurfs, like, I don't know, really, if anyone cares about the Smurfs anymore. Like, I know there was that movie in 2011. There were like, two movies. Was there?
1: Yep, there was a second one. Smurfs 2. Oh my gosh. I they're the they're kind of one. like the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies now. Like, you, you like, you like don't think that they're real anymore But they're still very real They're on their fourth album of the Chipmunks movie And I think like, they're making a third Smurfs movie
0: Like I feel like Papa Smurf You know he, he was kind of like the wise mage You know everyone kind of trusted him uh, The girl Smurf Like I don't know I, I feel like All, know, all the
1: jokes revolving around the girl Smurf Is just that she was the only girl yeah. But none of them talk about that she was the only one that also had like blonde hair. Like everyone else had like white hair, right? Yeah. Why why what kind of genetic abnormality was she that she had blonde hair? Or was she like the only real one, like the only like uh regular smurf and she just stumbled upon this like uh isolated colony of smurfs that like evolved outside of the regular smurfs? Or they had their own like separate uh species of smurf?
0: I feel like this is way too politically, you know, economical of an examination <laughs> of the
1: Smurfs lifestyle. You I, want, I feel you like want to get even more complex. We can talk about oh, oh, what are they called? The underwater Smurfs that have a snorkel on their head, but they live underwater, so their snorkel is completely useless. Do you want to talk?
0: I mean, I feel like I don't know. I I watched the Smurfs as a kid, and I don't remember much of it. The only thing I really remember about the Smurfs is that I took an art class in high school, and this kid thought he'd be really edgy and draw, like, real-life Smurfs, like, if they were real and not, like, cartoon characters, and it was the creepiest thing I'd ever seen. And he ended up getting, like, a failing grade on it, so I think the <laughs> that it,
1: it was fucking creepy. I hate those, like, look at these realistic drawings of cartoon characters, because, it's like, what are you trying to accomplish here? Like yeah. cartoons are supposed to be exaggerated what, you're not going to win anything by making them look like they're real life, except the the one uh, um, uh exclusion for that is uh have you seen the um the analysis of like powerpuff girls like in in their own like world? No, I haven't <laughs> okay so the it, it rests on like how do power how do their hands work because they're just little stubs, you know, but they can pick things up with it. And then they have this episode where, like, Buttercup and the Professor switch uh, bodies. Mm -hmm. And she goes to try to answer the phone as the Professor, but she doesn't, like, use his fingers. She just kind of touches the palm to the phone. And she's like, your hand doesn't work, Professor. And so the analysis for that is that their little just stub hands can just pick things up. Right. And so they're like, well, how would that work? Is it like Spider-Man where he's got those little, like, tiny hairs? And it's like, no, it wouldn't provide enough uh, grip. Is it, like, the little webbed things for, like, lizards and geckos that allow them to walk up walls? No, there's not enough surface area. So they came to the conclusion that their nubbin' hands are made up of extremely tiny, regular human hands that all can grasp things individually. That's the only time I think that, like, cartoons-in-real-life thing was uh, called for, because that's a really insane kind of existence to have.
0: I think... The only time I've ever I was ever like that was a good idea is when this one dude did like a YouTube video where he did like if Pokemon were real, but the thing is like he should have just done it with realistic looking Pokemon, but instead he went really creepy with it and he was like, oh, we're gonna kill Pokemon and all this, and I'm like, dude, okay,
1: kind of. Well, this- that's not too far off from what they were trying to do with Pokemon in the beginning. Their their original creator wanted the Pokemon to die, in yeah. in battle, so. He's, but he's doing that whole gritty Pokemon thing when you can't be gritty with a fat electric rat. Like <laughs> they don't give you a lot of work for that. You can't you can't be gritty with a candle stick Pokemon or, uh, um, or what is it? <laughs> the the key or the ice cream mm-hmm. or Dragonair or frickin', uh Chimchar. You can't be gritty with the uh, no. Pokemon with like a Fire Tail.
0: <laughs> no, no. And, I mean, I'm actually, I mean, we joke on the podcast that, like, Pokemon's my main jam. And, like, I saw it, and everyone's like, hey, Curtis, it's this real, real Pokemon video. You should watch it. And I watch it, like, this is, doesn't work. Like, Pokemon is meant to be fantastical. And that's the thing. These cartoons, the Smurfs and all that, meant to be fantastical. Yeah. When you try to yeah, make it they're, weird. They're
1: for kids, you know? Yeah. We shouldn't think too deeply about it.
0: Like, I really, th- and I hate to say this, because I'm sure some people are going to be really offended that I say this, but... I think that these people who try to make the cartoons real are just trying to, like, make an excuse for having, like, sexual feelings towards the Smurfs or whatever. It's like, ah, oh, it, it, it's it's fine, and, you know. She she looks more human now, so it's not as weird that I feel this way. It's like, no, it's still pretty weird. No, like, it's, it's
1: still really weird. They're still blue and small. You can't...
0: Like, I'm not gonna lie, guys, like, this doesn't really justify what you're thinking, but, yeah.
1: No, they, they can't really come up with any justifications, but, you know...
0: Um, I mean, I guess that's it for 1981. I feel
1: like, is there anything you wanted to say? Any last thoughts? Uh, no. I think it's interesting that the Smurfs were, they were, like, from Sweden, right? It was, like, a Swedish show? Yeah, I think so. I think That's, like, one of the only instances we have of, like, of, uh, really, really outside success of a cartoon. And kind of aside from Code Lyoko, which was French. But, uh, aside from that, I don't think... There was really any other kind of outside of the normal uh, animation realm that became popular, was there? No, I can't think of any. I mean,
0: thanks, Sweden, for this really odd contribution to mankind. Eh,
1: it's, it's cute. It's fun. You know, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with it.
0: Until somebody up there, you know, comes up with something creepy to say. It's
1: gonna um... do the, we're going to have a gritty reboot of uh, the Smurfs. We're going to learn the tragic backstory of Papa Smurf and his, like, murdered Smurf clan yeah he's trying to rebuild his power it's going to be like uh like the phantom pain like some some crazy uh like ex con Smurf gets rid of his whole like Smurf army and then he's got to go and rebuild it from the ground up and that's really what we're watching. Think about it
0: you think you know if there was a gritty reboot of Smurfs like it would be like Papa Smurf and Gargamel had like this one night like you know gay romp or whatever, and Papa Smurf just feels ashamed of it, and that's really like what. Causes the whole conflict is really nothing else, just the fact that these two had a thing, and then all of a sudden, you know,
1: I don't know. So it's it's like that thing from is it the is it the new Arrested Development season where uh Job and uh the other magician have like that one night stand? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just going to be that, but with Smurfs. Yeah. And Gargamel. Yeah. Sure. I, I wouldn't call that gritty, but. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, gritty for I'm Smurfs. Called that
1: really, I'm called for, but.
0: <laughs> it would be a good way to, you know, bring modern, you know, uh, themes into play. I don't know. I guess. I clearly don't write for the Smurfs because I know nothing about them aside the fact that they're blue and there's a pop the Smurf.
1: Um, yeah, they're a little like little magic gnomes, which is pretty tight. I respect that. I respect their lifestyle.
0: Yeah. I wish I could be a blue gnome every now and then. Um, <laughs> All right. So we, we always at the end of each episode we rate and review the uh, the year as a whole. So for 1981, like, what where where are you thinking of giving it on for a review? You know, a score.
1: Uh, definitely four chili peppers out of five. Okay, I think it was a pretty good year, all things considered. That's very spicy. Yeah,
0: like <laughs> I'm gonna give this year. Uh, I'll give it. I'll give it 800 out of a thousand, Uncle Joey's. Um, so.
1: I'm gonna give score. it a five out of a seven.
0: <laughs> well, well, you know, a lot of people like they. Uh, if you don't know the backstory on this, because this podcast is definitely not tied to the regular show, in the sense that people don't know this, but on the regular show, we came. I we were joking about review scores and how like people just come up with their own review scores and like bare metrics. And then mm-hmm. one day, I was like, I'm just gonna make a review score or view scale out of Uncle Joey's, but then I'm always gonna change what it's out of. So. Some days it's out of 10. Some days it's out of a (laughs) hundred. Some days it's out of a thousand. So I change it all the time. Mm -hmm. And every time, because I'm changing it, everyone like, they just can't figure out what the review means. So they're just like, (laughs) the fuck, what does 800 out of a thousand Uncle Joey's mean? Is that bad? Is that good? I have no clue.
1: I mean, that's like an eight out of 10. That's a B.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. It's really simple math.
1: You should make it something really obscure, like a seven out of 13. Oh, I do that sometimes too. Yeah. (laughs) Like, sometimes
0: I'll just make it, like, some, like, you know, like, 67 out of 50 or something. And they're just like, no, this doesn't make sense. And I'm just like, got you guys because it wasn't supposed to make sense. Um, That's it for 1981. Uh, Check back next week as we do 1982, which is going to be a great year. Probably my favorite year of the 80s. All right. And uh, once again, Ryan, where can people check out you and your stuff?
1: People can check out freed uh, by searching freed by Papertrail Studios in the iTunes store or going to freed.libson.com
0: Okay, are you on Twitter at all or anything like that?
1: uh yes, we have Twitter at uh, freed radio. We have a Facebook that's under the same name, and we have a Tumblr that's freedpodcast.tumblr.com:
0: Wow, all on that social media. Oh, oh, yeah. We don't even have a Tumblr we're, all, we're only you know Facebook and Twitter, so definitely up in the game. I got to get a <laughs> Tumblr now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so that's it for 1981 and we'll see you guys next week bye bye